most of the time, decision makers are decision makers because they care about what happens to their company. And so that's what you need to tap into. And again, it's a motive. Today we're speaking with my good friend, Sin Linden. She's the director of Linden Tree and a storyteller at heart. This interview is pretty casual, but I think you'll get some breakthroughs on how honest storytelling can help your prospective customers buy into the vision behind your product. Enjoy. Scandinavian sounds. My name is... <laughs> Which is not me. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows how to do this. No one. And everyone, mm. everyone is like, is your name Sin? I'm like, well, yeah, it's like Lynn, but with an well. S. And that's the only way to say it in English. And they're like, well, how do you say it in Norwegian? And I'm like, okay, well, the reason I don't say it in Norwegian is because no English speakers can say it. And then they always make me say it. Well, I say it and they always try, you know, and I think it's just in human nature you want, want me to, to try. You don't want me to try. And I'm telling you, trying to say. you're welcome to try, but you cannot do it. Like it is not in your mouth to um, do it. I'm an American. Don't tell me yeah. what I can't do. Yeah. yeah. I'm international. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's so the name, the way you pronounce my name is Sinne Lindem. Yeah. I won't try that. I won't yeah. try to do that. But that's, that's awesome. <laughs> and I actually, my accent now, because I, I have had to kind of uh, freeze it here at this sound because I have this problem where I, because I'm so auditory, yeah. if I'm around and I lived, you know, I lived in Swaziland, I lived in Australia, I've been in the States a bunch, uh, I've had a lot of British friends. And if I hang out with people with an accent for long enough, um, I start copying it and it sounds mm. like I'm making fun of them, right? Oh. <laughs> so now it's kind of, uh, it's gotten stuck here at this kind of, I think quite American uh, yeah. accent to the point where I speak to Americans and they're like, so are you from the States? Like, where in the States are you from? And I'm like, right. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh man, that's so cool. And that's, I think it's hilarious how um, I was like, so your name is your name is sin and instead of yeah or no your answer is actually well <laughs> <laughs> it's one way of saying it's, it it's complicated <laughs> yeah it is complicated but um but i i like sin you know and especially now that i've started saying you know i say like rhymes with gin it's like lynn but with an s yeah yeah and then all americans can understand <laughs> and that's what we all strive well, for in you life. Say, is that the American? Right, hold on, you said Jan. All right, Jan, <laughs> sin. Okay, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> I got it now. I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> once, once like the pandemic settles down, I'm thinking probably in a year's time, I'm actually going to start running seasonal retreats for solopreneurs yeah. here. Hell yeah. 
where I invite like six to seven people because I have a very, very good relationship with all my neighbors. So then I can actually put people up at my house or my neighbor's house. Oh, um, dude, cool. And then do like a full on uh, week where it's like, if you just want to come and work in like nature surroundings, you can do that. But yeah. there's also going to be like seasonally based activities that you only really get in Scandinavia because the seasons are oh. so different. And then, yeah. And then every person will have like one kind of, there'll be like a lecture or a talk, well, not a lecture, but like a talk from, from each person every day so that we can learn from each other. And then we like cook delicious food and have dinner together. Okay. Well, guess what? We're, so we're, we're going to be doing international travel at some point in time. Yeah. You know, not this year, but this makes me feel like I need to bring my family to see you then. Yeah. The whole family. Yeah. You're very welcome. Cool. And then you should come for that retreat as well, if you can. Oh, so kids aren't allowed? No, it's definitely like a work. I'm going to kick out my husband and kids. (laughs) Well, no, they they can probably stay. But no, well, actually, yeah, I guess. Actually, yeah, I would kick them out. (laughs) (laughs) No, I meant actually, yeah, I guess you could bring your kids and wife. Mm. Um, and then they but could the, do their thing, you know. Yeah, they but might the, be dis- distracting, you know. That's the thing. Like, the point yeah. of the retreat would be basically, like, the whole idea came from the need to be in touch with nature, but also the loneliness of being a solopreneur and, like, missing that, like, colleagueship and having a working space. So I thought of it as basically, like, a one-week co-working space, but that's, in nature. Ooh, that's cool. Do you have good internet in nature? Of course I have. Good of course, internet. I have of fiber course. optic cable. <laughs> of course, it's Sweden. <laughs> oh, so you guys just like have fiber in in our house? Rural yeah. Area. Oh man, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's yes, awesome. it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of companies who move up market, so they they get product market fit. They have their standard go to market strategy on smaller businesses, and then once it's proven, they're able to expand into their market by moving up market to selling to larger and larger companies. Um, But then the whole process of selling the product changes from a transactional relationship into multiple decision makers who have to understand the value that it's going to bring to them. And you're dealing with much larger deal sizes as opposed to like that more transactional relationship. It's not one month. It's like, sometimes it's 12 months, sometimes it's 24 months at like a thousand seats plus. And what's really interesting about how this changes is like in the beginning, when you're selling to much smaller businesses and you're working with much smaller deal sizes, even your whole marketing strategy can be transactional. So you just go straight to Google, you bid for the keyword and the other person, they're just shopping. They're casually shopping like, you know, I need this thing. Where is it? And they find it. They may have 12 tabs open and you're the lowest price and they just click and they're, then they're in. And it's, it's very, very easy for them to cross that threshold into the purchase. And then when you're moving up market, it's six months sales cycle, or it's a 12 or 18 month sales cycle. And you've got the decision makers, sometimes the actual individual contributor the person who's going to be using the software they're not even the person who's going to buy it and mm-hmm. so the person who's going to buy it whether they're in the c-suite or if you have to like run this by the finance department or purchasing 
they don't care about the product. Like they don't even, I mean, there's probably boxes like IT has to check to make sure that it's like encrypted and two factor authentication, all that stuff. But then even the people who are above the individual contributor level, they say, what is the value that this is going to bring our company? And they kind of just have to trust that the individual contributor, that they will use it. Like, is it good? It doesn't, does it do everything you want it to do? Good. And that's, that's that conversation. That's the product conversation, which the transactional relationship used to be completely about. But now it's like, is it good? Cool. Check. And then we're moving on to much larger conversations about, do we really need this? Like, Mm. Because the budget's going to have to go into so many different directions. And oftentimes you got to like choose the biggest impact for that budget decision. Mm-hmm. So something that I'm really fascinated about is building that case for the value. How do you tell, I mean, this is a story. How do yeah. you tell the story of value? And oftentimes, you know, when you're moving up market, these are well-established companies. And in some senses, they're kind of, taking a little bit of a risk because they're off working with these software companies that are junior to them. They're mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't know. You know, this is a, there's a lot of trust that has to be built. There has to, because they're sometimes stepping out on a ledge a little bit. Like, are we sure that, you know, if we're going to build our infrastructure and like really ground our company and start building off of it, this startup that just, you know, they're only, they're only five years old, like, you know, (laughs) versus like 20 or 30 years old. Um, So I'm really interested in your thoughts on how companies can build that story around their value in a non-transactional way. How do they do that? Yeah. So you pointed out two interesting things there. So the first thing that you said was, it's no longer about the product. Like it's about the product, like it checks the boxes, but that's not what actually what the transaction is about anymore. And I would actually argue that that's the case almost all the time. It's not actually about the product because the product is not what makes us buy the product, not the product in itself. It's the narrative around the product, which the company tells. So I think that's kind of the first thing to remember is that most of the time people don't care, like they don't care at a genuinely deep emotive level about like software or sneakers or a jacket or a flower pot. Like that's not what makes them buy. What makes them buy is trust. And trust is built upon a relationship. Now, if you want to build a relationship with people that works between businesses and customers, just like it works between people and people, you know, you have to engage, you have to be vulnerable, you have to allow them to get to know you. And um, can you imagine trying to get to know someone without like hearing anything about who they are? (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) how does a business be vulnerable? I mean, I could, like, you could say, on like just a human level you know just like as a person well you can be vulnerable how can a business be vulnerable what is what even is that so a business that is vulnerable i think at the core is a business that knows exactly who its audience is 
because if you know your audience, then you also know who your audience isn't. When we're vulnerable as a business, you know, that's, that's social media, that's our website, that's our pitches, that's our product descriptions. Um, being honest. And being honest is scary when you are worried about the people it's going to alienate. But if you know already which people you aren't talking to, then you also know what's going to resonate with the people you are talking to. And then it isn't scary to be honest about your values and your mission and your products and where you're going because you know that it's an extension of your core values, which are resonant with your core customer base. There's, there's a little bit for, for smaller companies who are just starting out say you like, you got a software company that's five years old or so, and they've, they've gone through their product market fit. They've gone through that early stage and now um, the kinds of conversations they're having uh, with these larger companies, the challenge that they're facing, or at least one of the challenges they're facing is this concern over you're pretty young. And I think the natural instinct is to try to puff up like a puffer fish yep. and say, oh, no, we're, we're, we're like, no, you don't have no idea. We are so, so old. We've got everything to get. We've got, we are like, so, and I, and I, because you want them to see you in that light, of course, you know, people, people can smell bullshit from a mile away. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, what would it, that conversation, if that conversation was totally honest, you'd be like, look, we're a five-year-old company. And like, what, what would that look like if they were completely honest? I mean, granted, we're talking about a theoretical company. But like, how, how would you be honest in the face of that challenge? I think it's very important. Like being honest isn't being like self-deprecating. Like obviously if you're having these conversations with these massive corporations, you're doing that on the tail of success because something must have worked for you, right? Even if you've not lived for a super long time as a business, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I would also probably say that part of the reason you've done well to begin with is that there is something more to you, to your story, to that has allowed you to make that progress um, in such a short amount of time. And the other thing to remember, again, is that every single decision maker that you're talking with, like when you're in this like six month or 12 month or 18 month sales cycle, um, it's a human <laughs> and yes, they're like a big CEO or other sort of, you know, top color type person, but they're still a human and humans like stories. It's very simple. And they particularly like stories that are resonant for them. And by that, I do not mean that you should make every single story fit a format. Like you shouldn't always be telling, you know, that we've talked about for the hero's journey. Like there's a whole other range of stories and narratives that you can tell. But 
something happens in the human brain when they hear a story like we are there's a reason that we say that we're hardwired for them and so what needs to happen is you need to sort of position your story um, in a way that works for and appeals to that audience of decision makers but it needs to come from a place of honesty it needs to come from a place of vulnerability because if you're you know someone's going to call bullshit if you don't speak the truth like if you try to to get your way through that without saying what you're about because you want to make the sale or without stating your values because maybe you're worried that their ethos doesn't align with yours and you know the very best way to do that is to tell a riveting and engaging story about why you're sitting like tell the origin story of how you got to that room like tell the origin story of the meeting of the sales pitch that you're in and that's brilliant you know and that's going to work and that's going to be interesting to them because again it's not at this stage it's like you say it's not actually about the product and it almost never is because we don't trust a product that's not why we buy from Nike because we have this sincere trust in the sneaker. We trust in Nike, you know, like that's who we trust. And it's because we believe their story, <laughs> not this, because we believe the sneaker. <laughs> uh, Nike, Nike is how the Swedes pronounce Nike. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I find it insane that you say Nike. <laughs> Nike. I mean, it's an American company. So I know our, I still find our, it insane. Yeah, our pronunciation <laughs> is correct. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your pronunciation of all things is always correct. Yes. <laughs> um, say you've got ten decision makers, and one of them is the purchasing department, one of them is finance, one of them is the IT department, another one is the VP or C suite overseeing the individual contributors and then maybe the individual contributor would act as the champion so are these separate stories that you're telling to each one of them because each one of these people are are individuals and they see through different lenses so the finance department is going to be in excel and they're going to be thinking about balance sheets and pnls and forecasting and all this kind of stuff. And so the value conversation that you have with them is the story. Like, how could you tell a story outside of numbers? Like to them, it's just numbers. They're in Excel, right? Like is, is the value conversation with them anything more than a, like a math formula? Yeah. So I think that I, I genuinely believe, and I believe this because I do what I do. And not just I believe, I know, <laughs> I know that there is a story in everything. So there's a story in Excel too, you know, and there's a story in those numbers. It's the stories behind the numbers. And I think that, no, you don't tell an entirely different story. I think that's probably one of the most important things is that there is a consistency to the narrative because you are the one telling it, like you are the unique identifier in every single conversation in a way. So, so there certainly needs to be um, the sense 
for the people you are speaking with for the individual decision maker that you know you know imagine that the person who's going to make this decision in financing and the person who's going to make this decision in at c-suite have a cup of coffee and they discuss it and they both kind of hooked on to this one unique piece in your narrative and they're like yeah did you find that cool as well and the other person's like yeah they told you that too like that's awesome so i think it's it's so important to build what I call the core narrative, which is essentially your brand story. Now, this is something that would like go on your about page, but it's a lot more than that. And that's why it's relevant to the kind of like <clears throat> sales pitch as well, because it, becomes, it, it becomes the base for all your communications. So it needs to like really sit and that's why it's a core narrative. And you know, another good word for it is like the origin story. So it's like this story about your business and why it's amazing and the hardships it's had to face and the challenges it's overcome and the things you're proud of and its values. And this is, you know, this is emotive communications. Now we've already talked about the fact that emotion is what makes people buy. And in these situations, what you're actually trying to do is you're trying to get people to buy your product or at least buy into the idea of your product. Right. And so you have to appeal to them emotively. There's just no other or more effective way of doing it. Even if the story is about how the business you're talking to is going to turn five times the profit, but that sentiment is so much more powerful in story format than it is in just hard numbers format. Yeah. So I would say that the narrative you need to tell, the narrative that you need to tell is the narrative of your product and this business that you're pitching. You know, you need to draw on your core narrative, then you need to do your research and that's about knowing your audience because every single sales cycle is knowing that audience, knowing that business. And then you need to create the narrative of their coexistence or their symbiosis. And this goes like way beyond, you know, product specs and Excel spreadsheets. And there should ideally in this narrative be something that appeals to every single person that you know is a decision maker in this process. And, you know, most of the time decision makers are decision makers because they care about what happens to their company. And so that's what you need to tap into. And again, it's emotive. Yeah. Caring, you know? caring is, that's a really interesting insight. Decision makers. So um, I'm just like a huge Dan Sullivan fanboy, Dan Sullivan, the strategic coach. And one of the insights Dan brings to the word decision is that decision, it means to cut. So you're actually, um, but there's also a part, and I don't know, I don't know Latin very well, but side, so like C-I-D-E, is like to kill as well. So that's why you have, um, there's a lot of words that use the word side in them that means to kill. And so when you make a decision, 
when you decide something, it's like you're killing off an option or what he likes to frame it in a positive way that doesn't have to do with killing, which is, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's the words, it's the root, whatever. It's the, it's actually what, what gets to come into the next stage. What are you yep. leaving behind and what, what gets to come with you? And so decision makers, people who decide, they have to eliminate one option. And, and, and then they actually bring, um, they're, they're closing off a path and stepping into it. You know what I'm trying to say. They're trying to go, yeah. they're, they're, <laughs> I'm trying not to say the word decide a lot, but they're, they're deciding to go down one path and leave another path behind. Exactly. And the reason that they have that role in their company is that they actually care what each path looks like. So your job as the product storyteller is to paint the path, to show them that that path is going to make all these incredible things happen and to really create and craft that narrative, like the journey of how, you know, so if you get the question of, well, you're so young, then you can tell the origin story of how you got to the meeting. But when you get the question of, well, what are you gonna do for us? Then you tell the story of the future and of the past and what you're gonna do when you take this journey together. Yeah. You know? Uh, so another, I'm also a fanboy of Chris Voss. Do you know Chris Voss? <laughs> yes, you've talked to him. Oh, you've talked yeah. to me about him <laughs> okay, before. Okay, okay. <laughs> Fine. Sorry. He has come up. Sorry. <laughs> Well, so um, he has an interesting point of view on the word why. If you were concerned, if a company was concerned about the objection uh, related to how old is the company, um, you probably start off with an accusation audit. So an accusation audit might look like, look, I know you guys probably think that we're complete rookies. Like we're we're totally new to this. We don't know what we're doing. And, you know, basically just like laying it on thick of everything that you could possibly put at you. And then the opposite side kind of comes into defensive mode. Like, no, we don't think that. We think you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then another, another uh, part of why using the word why is, well, why would you, why would you choose a company like us? Like what, why would you, why would you take a meeting like this with us? And then that also turns them into defending your case. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we're, we're here because, you know, we believe in what you guys are doing and, you know, so that, that kind of flips that switch. And I, I say opposite side, but it's, I think it's important for them to be next to each other rather than opposing. And I think when you flip that switch when they're defending your case for you, then they're working with you already. Yeah, and I think it's also what you say there is so important, um, at least to me, and obviously this will depend from business to business on different value sets, but um, storytelling is about honesty and authenticity. It is not, um, you know, it's not a hack. It's not a buzzword. It's like the oldest selling tool in the box. 
And the reason it's the oldest selling tool in the box and the reason it works is because of trust. So when someone believes that you are being real with them and being honest with them and you are showing them that through the magical medium of stories, then they kind of can't help but trust you. And if they trust you, they are so much more likely to buy from you. In fact, they're not going to buy from you if they don't trust you. So yes, implementing strategies like that, you know, it can work and it can backfire. Um, and I'm definitely not saying that you should sit there and be like, yes, we know we're so young and we're so silly and please, oh, please let us work with you. But you know, own your age then. So if yeah. you're, you know, so if you're a three-year-old company and you're trying to break a deal, like get a deal with a, I don't know, 55-year-old company that's massive and it's a huge corporation, you know, own it. Like own the fact that you are in a room with them and that, that they've asked for a meeting or they've said yes to a meeting and allow the story to connect and resonate because it's going to because it does with people it just does yeah um, like there's a reason we're in this room right yeah yeah exactly like and 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 not in a not in like kind of a well if you don't want us here we can leave like not in that sense but sure. just but just like um i think that sense of being proud of what your business is and who your business persona is. Um, it's essential for all sales and it just simply circles back to being in touch with the values of your business. Because as soon as you find yourself on thin ice, whether that's in communications or sales or hiring or whatever development, it's usually because you're starting to get out of sync with what you actually believe in. And so to upscale with stories, you need to create narratives that you believe in that are honest and that come from you, but that equally the people you are selling to can believe in and can get behind because that's where the connection takes place is when they see that, that it's not just that they want your product, but they want to be part of your story. You know, like they want to be part of your story just like you want to be part of theirs. Um, That's cool. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and I, and I think too, like um, when, you're, when you're moving up market, um, and I know this because I've been in large companies, large companies look towards small, nimble, innovative companies and they're like, wow, look at these guys. Like, I mean, if they're not totally preoccupied by uh, fears of disruption, they see the innovation and they're like, wow, they're onto something amazing. And yep. like you said, they want to be a part of it. Yep. They sort of, you know, because the grass is always greener. And I think like, I think every single person, business owner, solopreneur and business in the world suffers from some um level of like imposter syndrome and comparison syndrome or whatever you want to call it that, yeah. that and it just comes down to that thing that the grass is always greener if you're a massive company 
They're like, man, we're so big and students <laughs> have to go through so many different people and yeah. everything is in these like set square ta- boxes. Why is this taking six, 12 or even 18 months? Yeah, even whereas in, the even small inside. business, yeah, exactly. Whereas the small business is like, oh my God, I wish we had your security and your right. kind of, um, you know, just like clout. Um, yeah. And... And, you know, that coexistence is what's so brilliant. And I think that you made that really important point now where you said that, like, unless they're so concerned about, like, terrified of disruption, basically. And if they're terrified of disruption, you know, I hate to break to you, but then that's probably not a company you're going to want to work with because it's going to drive you insane. Yeah. So... And that's the other part. And again, that's about like being comfortable. It like points back to this thing I said earlier that it's easy to be vulnerable as a business if you know who you're talking to. It's when you don't know who you're talking to that you get scared. Because then you start worrying that what you're going to say is going to put people off. Yeah. What, what, so what do you mean by who you're... I mean, because if they make it... I mean, obviously you kind of have like two parts of this. You have marketing and sales and sales you're having direct conversations at this point of like you're in the room you're with a decision maker and who you're speaking to is face to face or zoom or zoom to zoom yeah so what what do you mean by so um, then that's your audience in those conversations that is your audience of course the person sitting right in front of you yeah in um a larger boardroom it's everyone in that room mm-hmm. in marketing. It's the people who see your stuff, yeah. but it's also knowing which people that may see your stuff that you want to reach, you know, because then it's not so scary being vulnerable. Like then it's not like, Oh my God, our posts get 45,000 views. What if 10,000 of those people hate what we say? Right. Like, yeah, but we don't want to sell to those 10,000. We want to sell yeah. to 35. Okay, cool. So then we don't have to worry about that. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, if, if you're moving up market, you're moving from selling into that transact in that transactional mode and back to this idea of like, you're going to hack, like you're no, if you're moving up market, you're no longer hacking. And so like a lot of the metrics of like, we got a 10% boost from this or that, like all of that little tinkering and like looking at the vanity metrics, it's a completely different game, which I love. I, I'm so, um, I'm inspired by leaving that all in the dust because I don't, I don't like the idea that you're going to hack trust. Like you were, we're in in deep, yeah, we're in deeper waters. We're like, so I, I love, I love this shift. Um, but you know, you can have a video. If a video is 20 minutes long, um, and say it's like, it's the kind of video where it brings a lot of insight and the person who watches it, it changes the way that they see an important issue. Mm-hmm. And so I say you have like a really effective asset and it's 20 minutes long. If you had five views or maybe even just one view, the right person sees it. And that can, that one view with the right person can make an impact. 
And so, but, yeah. I, and I, I would that's... say that those are the only views that count. Yeah, just for the... everyone, for every business, whether you're yeah. big or small, the only views that count are the ones that have an impact. And by being getting comfortable with who you're actually trying to have an impact on is part of letting go of what you said, like the vanity metrics, because vanity metrics, like, what is that even like that doesn't it's like, it yeah, it's good. great to say like, oh yeah, we had half a million wow. views last year. It's like, okay, great. Yeah, Did you make an impact on anyone's yeah. life? No. Okay, cool. Yeah. Moving on then. And so, and it's like you say, I also, I love that you said hacking trust because this is something that kind of frustrates me quite a lot because storytelling has become like this huge buzzword at the moment. Um, everyone's a storyteller all of a sudden. And it pisses me off for two reasons. And it pisses me off firstly, because it's a craft. So it isn't some, it's not just like a buzzy thing that you can take a six week course in. It's like an actual skill that you need to learn and understand. And like that there is a reason that amazing movies have you know, million or hundred million dollar budgets. And it's because it's, it's a craft to tell a good story. Yeah. But the other thing is exactly what you said. It's that notion that, oh man, if you just tell the right story, man, you can make anyone trust you. Oh. And it's like, yeah, but. Gross. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> Jeez. I'm sure oh. to some, like to some people that's super attractive because it would no. be more money, but. Yeah, oh. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, there, oh, oh, I think I need to throw up after hearing you say that. Jeez. No, but it's true. And it's just, um, and it's a very alluring proposition. Like, and that's why stories, you know, I've, you know, the research, when you read research on like the neuroscience and psychology and what actually happens in our brain when we hear stories, that's when you begin to understand how freaking powerful this tool yeah. is because there's a lot of stuff that happens in yeah. the neurons when we're and hearing this, stories. This kind of power gets into the wrong hands. Yeah. Oh, Bad things yeah. can happen. Because that's never happened. No, it's um, never happened. <laughs> no, but I think that's why, you know, if you kind of can do it on a foundation of good, and I think that entrepreneurial you know, tech startups that are kind of moving up market, they, it's, I've met quite a few of the guys who run these things and it's very rare that they only do it to make money. There's almost always a bigger reason. Like there is something they want to do. They want to make a difference somehow. And that's why I love the businesses. That's like my favorite people to work with are businesses that want to grow, but they want to make a difference. And yeah. when you're going to tell a story, it's the making a difference thing. That's what's going to make you grow. If you can tell the story of how you're going to make a difference for your customer and for their customers, then you're going to grow. Like growth is going to be like this side effect. You right. Know? Yeah. And so this, this brings me back to why. So the reason why the company exists in the first place, mm -hmm. why... Um, why they started the product what why is there a need for the product why what solution what solution is the product bringing like what's yeah. the problem that it's solving who are they helping 
who 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 are they helping and the impact and why did they start in the first place yeah and i think i think that's a great place to get centered is understanding why because that's something you can you can understand why internally and then you also can enroll the decision makers in the potential customer you can enroll them into why as well because yep. it's that's a shared common purpose yep and it's a shared common story yeah yeah. I think that's a wonderful place to stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And now and now I have to now I have to say goodbye to you in true podcast form. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sin, no it was so good to speak with you today. <laughs> <laughs> if you tell the right story, you can make anyone believe you. <laughs> you can make anyone trust you. Yeah, uh, I hate it. <laughs> let's discuss okay we cannot end on that note sin thank you so much for having this awesome conversation you rock and um i hope thank you so much for having me yeah it was a pleasure yeah i hope you have a wonderful night's sleep thanks i hope you have a great day (laughs) i really appreciate all the insights that you're bringing our listeners Tell us like where we can learn more about what you do. And I think you were mentioning a webinar series. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay. So if you want to read like about more about storytelling and SEO for humans and all the stuff that I do, you can go to lindentree.com. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, but also in November and December, I'll be running a five part webinar series, which is a very sort of hands-on practical workshop style, um, series. It's only going to be 45 minutes long. So it's not going to take up like a huge, huge part of your day, but it's going to give you lots of good tools and insights and a taster from, um, the your storytelling roadmap package that I offer. So I'm really really excited about that. Wait, so this is this is free? Yes, it is. This is a, this sounds like a shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just fun. <laughs> it's okay, just good storytelling fun. Good, it's good storytelling fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, all right, thanks. Thank you. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs>you enjoyed this conversation please smash that like button and leave a review preferably a four-star review on the apple podcasts app thank you for listening and we'll catch you guys on the next one